Hello and welcome to Disastrous History. My name is Anthony, and I am the host of this wonderful mess of a show that will attempt to chronicle some of the biggest and most interesting disasters, messes, and all-around screw-ups that have happened throughout the centuries. This week we're going to continue our theme of tornadoes. But this isn't going to be a single disaster, and it isn't going to be a single outbreak. This week we're going to talk about the small-ish town of Moore, Oklahoma. I can hear you now. Why should I care about this random town in the middle of nowhere? Well, sort of the middle of nowhere. It's just some town in Oklahoma, which is notoriously full of small towns no one has heard of. And yeah, technically you are correct. But there's something special about Moore, but we'll get to that in a minute. First, we're going to talk about the background of Moore. Moore is an unassuming town. It's got a population of about 55,000, it's a suburb of Oklahoma City, and it's the seventh largest town in the state. It's basically like any other suburb in the United States. The weird borders, it's all subdivisions, the normal McDonald's, Burger King, 7-Eleven, stuff like that. It's a normal town. It sits just south of Oklahoma City, the state capital. It was founded in 1889. The town got its name by a railroad worker by the name of Al Moore. According to local legend, he was living in a boxcar at the town, which was little more than a camp at the time. He kept not receiving his mail, and this irritated him to no end. As we all know, not receiving the mail you're expecting is extremely irritating. The only issue with Al Moore not receiving his mail was it was because he was living in a boxcar. So, not really an address on a boxcar. Even in 1889, there's no address on, a, address on a boxcar. So he wanted to fix the issue, which I can't really blame him. He took a piece of wood, painted his last name on it, and nailed it to the side of the boxcar. When the town finally got its own postmaster, the postmaster just kept calling the town more for whatever reason. He probably thought it was funny. I would also do the same thing. And they just went with it from there and eventually just made it the official name of the town. Over time, Moore grew into the size it is today. It sits just north of Norman, Oklahoma, home of noted college football playoff participant, the University of Oklahoma Sooners. It's got three high schools, the Moore Lions, the Southmore Sabercats, and the Westmore Jaguars. Kind of feels like these schools were named by Joe Exotic with all these big cat mascots. By all accounts, Moore is a normal, everyday western town. No, Oklahoma is not in the Midwest. I will fight anyone to the death on this. So, what makes more special, and why does it get its own episode? Tornadoes appear to be drawn to it. Since 1890, Moore has been hit by about 23 tornadoes, which doesn't seem like a lot until you really get into the math. Oklahoma is basically 70,000 square miles. Moore is 22 square miles. So, the probability a tornado would hit Moore, Oklahoma is 0.03%. Not 3%. Not even three-tenths of a percent. Three one-hundredths of a percent. That's just one tornado hitting more in any given year. Quick side note. Having a friend with a PhD in mathematics is a wonderful resource. Thank you, Cameron, for the help with this math. Because these numbers are about to get just stupid small. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without him. So, Oklahoma averages about 52 tornadoes a year, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. To make for some simple-ish math, 
let's just say there have been 6,760 tornadoes in Oklahoma since 1890. And seriously, this math is not going to be simple, and I am not going to try and explain to you how he did this, because it was a whole bunch of numbers that I quickly did not fully understand. He was able to put them into the words that I put them into this for everyone to understand, but it was, it was impressive. Thank you, Cameron. So, 6,760 tornadoes since 1890, give or take. Now we're going to shunt all the numbers over to our math wizard friend, and he's going to spit out the data. Without further ado, the probability that a town the size of Moore would get hit by 23 separate tornadoes of the 6,760 that have occurred in Oklahoma since 1890 is 1 in 6.622 times 10 to the 15th. That is... 1 in 6.62 quadrillion. No, I did not make that up. That is a real number calculated by a real mathematician. Again, thank you, Cameron. This math is way above my head. My expertise is in fires and things that get destroyed, not math. But we're not going to stop there. Because just since 1999, Moore has been hit by four violent tornadoes. A violent tornado is F4 or higher. So, an F4 or an F5. And, yes, I know, it's EF, but F is ingrained into my school. I'm sorry. It's just, that's just I'm just going to use F. I'm sorry if that annoys you. If, you. if it annoys you, then you can tell me about it. I don't care. But anyway, there have only been 15 violent tornadoes in all of Oklahoma since 1999. That means the odds of four hitting more is 1 in 75 billion 100 million. That's a really small chance. Two of those tornadoes were F5s. There have only been three of those in all of Oklahoma since 1999. That makes the chances of two out of three hitting more 1 in 3.37 times 10 to the 6th. That is 1 in 3,378,000. Just to give you a comparison, the odds of being struck by lightning are 1 in 500,000. So, that's just really stupid odds. If you live in Moore, you should probably buy a lottery ticket. Actually, just for fun, let's look at what the odds are to win the Mega Millions at any given time. The current odds to win the Mega Millions are 1 in 302.5 million. So, you have a better chance of winning the Mega Millions jackpot than Moore has of being hit by 23 separate tornadoes. You also have a better chance of winning the lottery than Moore does of being hit by four violent tornadoes in 22 years. But we haven't fully described just how unlucky Moore is. Let's take this from just, this is just Oklahoma. Let's take this to the full United States. There have been 10 confirmed F5 tornadoes in the entire continental United States since 1999. Two of them have hit more Oklahoma. The odds of that happening are 1 in 5 quintillion. Seriously, that is ridiculous. There have only been 12 confirmed F5 tornadoes in the entire world since 1999. We didn't do that math, but that's an even smaller number chance of happening than 
if we were just taking the United States. Something seriously does not like that more exists. Like, I don't know where or who put the tornado magnet in more, but they seriously need to move it. The first and second recorded tornadoes in Moore, Oklahoma were on April 25th, 1893, which was not long after Moore officially took on the name Moore and was incorporated. Literally, like, the first thing that happened in Moore was the town had to be rebuilt because it got destroyed by a tornado. Two tornadoes, actually. Not much is known about these first tornadoes, but the second is reported to be F4 in size and killed 33 people and injured many others. Between then and 1999, Moore would be hit by 13 tornadoes. Nine total fatalities occurred during these storms that ranged from an F0 to an F3. Just as a quick recap from last week, last week we covered what the skating scales are. So now it's an enhanced Fujita scale. It used to be the Fujita scale. When I was growing up, it was the Fujita scale, and it's been stuck in my brain ever since. That's why I say F4, F5 instead of EF4, EF5. Proper nomenclature is EF4, EF5, EF1, whatever. The basis for the scale is wind speed combined with damage viewed after the tornado has passed. So after the tornado has passed, they go through and they look at the damage that was created by the tornado and they judge it. They base the scale on the size or the they base I'm sorry. They base the scale of the tornado on the damage and the wind speed recorded. So that is where we get the F1, F2, F3, F4, F5. It does not go past F5. The F5 is the finger of God. So, then came May 3rd of 1999 in Moore, Oklahoma. One of the most infamous tornadoes in U.S. history struck the town of Moore. Early in the morning of May 3rd, the Storm Prediction Center, based out of Norman, Oklahoma, which is just 10 miles south of Moore, released a prediction with a slight chance of severe weather from south and southern Nebraska to central Texas. Basically, the entirety of Oklahoma was under a slight chance of severe weather. A dry line, the dividing line between dry and moist air, was stretching from western Kansas to western Texas. Behind this dry line to the west was dry air from out of the Rockies. Sitting over the greater Oklahoma era, area was an extremely humid air mass from the Gulf of Mexico. The dew point around Moore was sitting right around 65 degrees. The dew point is the measure of moisture in the air. A dew point of 65 is the dividing line between it's kind of gross out here and I feel sweaty when I walk outside, but it's not unbearable. And, oh my God, it feels like I'm walking through soup. I'm soaked through my shirt as soon as I walk out the door. It feels like I'm breathing through water. Help me, I need to go back in the air conditioning. If you've been to the West, the Midwest, or the South in the United States, you know what this feels like. I, there are other places, but I've never left, left the United States, so I, tropic air has got a really high dew point usually. It's gross and humid and oppressive, and it sucks. There was plenty of moisture in the air, obviously, as I just explained. And approaching from the west was a low-level dry air mass. This makes for good setup for tornadoes. The actual weather that morning in Moore started out cloudy and humid. As daylight broke, the clouds started to disperse and warm. the sun started to warm up the humid air. This was not good. 
This gave the coming storms a ton of fuel. The Storm Prediction Center sent up a weather balloon and received a CAPE value of over 4,000 joules per kilogram. A CAPE value is a measure of available energy for storms. CAPE stands for Convective Available Potential Energy. The scales read like this. Up to 1,000 joules per kilogram is weak instability. 1,000 to 2,500 is moderate instability. 2,500 to 4,000 is strong instability. And anything over 4,000 is a bad day. So we're sitting pretty comfortably in that bad day range. After this update, the central Oklahoma and northern Texas area were upgraded to a moderate risk for severe weather at 11.15 a.m. And then special weather balloons were launched. They showed that the atmosphere was insanely unstable. As the weather balloons moved up in the atmosphere, they rapidly changed directions and wind speed and started to move around more aggressively, aggressively the higher they went. You know, all the things a tornado does. So the severe weather risk was upgraded to high at 3.49 p.m. If you listen to last week's episode, you'll know that a tornado watch is like having all the ingredients for a cupcake, but not having yet baked the cupcakes. So you have the flour and the sugar and the eggs and all that kind of stuff, but you haven't yet combined them into a cupcake. You just have all the ingredients there, so you need to be on the watch for a cupcake. A tornado warning is like having the cupcake there ready to eat. You have a cupcake. All the ingredients are put together. It's there for everyone to see. The weather on May 3rd, 1999 was like saying, to hell with baking all this stuff. Let's just buy some cupcakes from the grocery store. It was basically already ready for a tornado to touch down. It was just a matter of time. The first tornado of the day was spotted about 80 miles southwest of Moore at 4.51 p.m. The supercells would continue to track northeast towards the Moore area throughout the day and evening. The storm that hit Moore fired up around 3.15 p.m. in Tillman County, Oklahoma, about 120 miles southwest of Moore. The storm would end up producing 14 tornadoes over three and a half hours. What would become the tornado that hit Moore started near Amber, Oklahoma, southwest of Moore. It traveled northeast through Bridge Creek and Newcastle before entering the western side of Moore. Damage through Moore ranged from a half mile wide to three quarters of a mile wide. Eleven people were killed in the town of Moore. Fifty or so homes were destroyed in one subdivision, with one home completely swept away off its foundation. Several cars were picked up and tossed over a quarter mile. In the next subdivision, four homes in a row were swept clean off their foundations. Like, they weren't, there wasn't anything left. It was just flat floor left. No walls, nothing. Just straight floorboards. An airplane wing was found among the remains in the area of Moore. Which, you know, doesn't seem all that strange. Except the wing was from the Chickasha Municipal Airport, 40 miles away. The twister continued northeast through Moore and flattened a two-story apartment complex. Throughout this whole track through the town, the tornado strengthened and weakened multiple times. It dropped as low as an F3 and as high as solidly F5. It then headed straight for Westmore High School. Being May, they were having an end-of-year award ceremony that by all accounts was well attended. 
And I have to say, I can't imagine a worse place to be caught during an F5 tornado than a high school award ceremony. Those things are the most boring things in existence. Honestly, there were several times when I was in high school sitting through award ceremony where I kind of wished a tornado would have hit the auditorium I was sitting in because it would have been much more exciting than the, whatever I was watching them give out, whatever award I was watching them give out to someone who didn't do any of the actual work they claimed they've done. But anyway... But that's where a large chunk of more found themselves on the evening of May 3rd, 1999, in an auditorium with a ton of other people and an F5 tornado barreling right at them. Luckily, they, everyone inside was given enough time. They all made it to shelter and no one was hurt. The cars in the parking lot were launched around everywhere like my two-year-old playing with Hot Wheels. The tornado would then travel out of Moore and hit South Oklahoma City. There it would repeatedly pick up an 18-ton freight train car and throw it three-quarters of a mile. The tornado ended up causing $1.2 billion in damage and was the first one to break the billion-dollar mark. It also became the tornado with the highest recorded wind speed, with the wind being measured at a whopping 302 miles per hour. The fastest an IndyCar has ever gone was 241 miles per hour. The fastest wind speed ever recorded outside of a tornado was 253 miles per hour. This left them all in the dust. This tornado was huge, it was destructive, and it's really hard to describe in words just how much damage it's caused. It's hard to describe how a house can be ripped off its foundations and just only have concrete slab left. There were houses that were bolted to the concrete slab and the bolts were ripped out of the concrete. That is crazy to think about. And that's just the first major tornado in Moore since 1999. There were three more. An F4 would strike Moore on May 8, 2003 and then yet another F4 would strike Moore on May 10, 2010. The 2010 F4 tornado ended up being over a mile wide and killed two people. And that brings us to the latest F5 tornado that has struck more. It was May 20th, 2013. I think maybe if you live in or around more, you should probably just take a month-long vacation to somewhere that isn't susceptible to massive tornado outbreaks during May because there is something about that month that just makes more become tornado central. Alternatively, if you want to see tornadoes, travel to Moore, Oklahoma, in the month of May. You'll probably see one. If not, two, three, four, five, six, who knows? Just travel up and down Oklahoma, really, in May, and you'll find at least one, probably way more than one tornado. So, at 5 a.m. on May 20th, the forecast stated that tornadoes were likely with baseball-sized hail. I have lived in the Midwest and the West my entire life. I have seen many, many storms and many, many forecasts. I have never in my life seen a forecast predict baseball-sized hail. That is insanity. But then at 10 a.m. on May 20th, the forecast was changed. It went from the potential for tornadoes to tornadoes are expected, which is also a thing I have never seen. 
The first tornado watch went into effect for basically the entire state of Oklahoma besides the Panhandle at 1.10 p.m. Like the first F5 tornado we talked about in 1999, this tornado watch was less, hey, I have all these ingredients for a cupcake, I'm getting ready to bake them, and was more of a, hey, I'm going to the store to get cupcakes, I'll have them back in 20 minutes. The dry line formed over central Oklahoma down into Texas, with moist air over Oklahoma City and more, and dry air behind the dry line to the west. The temperatures hovered around 80 degrees, with a dew point between 65 and 75. So it's in the, oh god, it's like I'm swimming in a hot tub, why is it so hot and humid and why is it so terrible range? The CAPE measurement for that day was between 3,500 and 5,000. So the range from, hey, this is super unstable and could be dangerous, to this is bad, oh God, we have to hide now. Now, there's a phenomenon in the Midwest and the West, close West, that happens in the springtime that I genuinely don't know if it happens elsewhere. Sometimes when the storms are bad enough or a tornado has been spotted, Local TV channels suspend all programming and will run weather coverage with essentially no commercial breaks. Numerous times over the years of my childhood, I can remember the local news only covering weather when a tornado was being tracked in the area. And numerous times in my adulthood, I've had to take cover and run back and forth from shelter to my television to try and figure out what was going on. But that usually only happens when a tornado or strikingly severe storm was actively going on. But on this day... The predictions were so bad, and they were so confident that there would be multiple tornadoes from these storms, that three local stations and more just straight up decided that they weren't going to show anything but weather coverage all day long. It would turn out to be a good idea. They even took over local radio stations and were doing nothing but weather coverage. The tornado warning that would cover more was announced at 2.40 p.m. And unfortunately, the timing for this storm could not be worse. May 20th, 2013 was a Monday, which means that children would be in school, and they would need to be picked up from school at right around the same time as that tornado warning was announced. So parents who were worried about their approaching storm arrived early to get their kids, only to be stuck in a long line as the rapidly strengthening storm was approaching. There's actually a story of a local weatherman who was watching feed from a helicopter sent back to the station, and there was a traffic jam of cars stuck trying to pick up children from their school, and he went on the radio because he assumed that most of them were listening to the radio station and pleaded with them to take side streets to get away from the tornado. The tornado that would hit more officially touched down at 2.56 p.m. near Newcastle, Oklahoma. Initially an F1, it rapidly strengthened to an F4, where it completely swept away two homes. The tornado began to travel northeast, where it again swept away several more houses. It then hit an oil production site. Four oil tanks were located within this production site. One of those tanks was found 200 meters away. Two of the tanks were found almost a full mile away. Wait. One was found 200 meters away. Two were town found almost a mile away. That's only three. Where's the fourth tank? The fourth tank straight up disappeared. 
every single official report just says that it disappeared. They never found it. I, an oil tank. It's just gone. Can you imagine the strength it would take to pulverize an oil tank into such small pieces that it cannot be recognized as an oil tank anymore? That is mind-boggling. I've seen tanks explode on fire scenes. I've seen plenty of tanks explode on fire scenes. And is always able to recognize, hey, this is that tank. There was so much debris, and this oil tank was ripped so much apart that they literally couldn't find it. That is wild. That just shows you how strong an F5 tornado is. If an F5 is coming at you, you want to be anywhere else. After it disappeared an entire oil tank, the Twister then hit the Orr family farm and the Celestial Acres horse training facility. Nearly 100 horses died, and every building in the Celestial Acres facility was leveled. Celestial Acres. I don't know why I couldn't say that. Two propane tanks from the Orr family farm weighing 10 tons apiece were picked up and tossed half a mile each. One of the tanks landed on top of nearby Briarwood Elementary. The tornado would then proceed to destroy a good portion of Briarwood Elementary. Luckily, no one at this elementary school was injured. Everyone was able to make it to cover. The twister then traveled through several subdivisions before hitting a second elementary school. Plaza Towers Elementary School was destroyed. Tragically, seven third graders were killed when the cinder block wall they were bracing against collapsed on them. The elementary school was not built with a safe room, and the wall they were bracing against was not built with the proper length of rebar. After that, the tornado continued its destructive path. It tossed cars against the front of the Moore Medical Center and even landed one on the roof. I don't know what it is about this tornado, but it likes putting things that don't belong on roofs on top of roofs. The tornado destroyed a 7-Eleven and killed three people sheltering inside. It finally, mercifully, dissipated at 3.33 p.m. after leveling several more homes and traveling through multiple subdivisions. This deadly F5 tornado was on the ground for 37 minutes and traveled 14 miles. It reached wind speeds of 210 miles per hour. This tornado ended up killing 25 people and causing $2 billion in damages. Nearly 1,150 buildings were destroyed and thousands upon thousands of cars were destroyed. One of the things that came out of this tornado was more started requiring new builds to have framing anchors to frame to anchor the frame of the building to the foundation. It also required continuous plywood sheathing, which means that plywood is used on all surface areas on the exterior of the house to help brace against wind and to disperse the load. They also required wind-resistant garage doors. These wind-resistant garage doors can withstand winds up to 135 miles an hour, which is an F2 tornado. This made Moore the first town in the United States to have tornado-specific building requirements beyond what was required in building code. So, I know what you're thinking, and you really just want to know why Moore seems to be getting hit with these violent tornadoes more than literally anywhere else on Earth. 
there are some theories, but no real answers. The reason that the old Tornado Alley is where it is, and I say old Tornado Alley because it kind of appears to be shifting more towards the south, but there's really some debate on whether it's an actual shift rather than just a gradual addition to Tornado Alley that uh, Louisiana over to Alabama stretch where there's been a bunch of tornado outbreaks lately. Anyway, that's beside the point. The reason Tornado Alley is where it is is because of the location of the Rocky Mountains in the Gulf of Mexico. Warm, moist air travels up off the Gulf. Cool, dry air travels down from the Rockies. About halfway between those two locations, Oklahoma. Halfway through Oklahoma, more. This seems to explain it. But central Oklahoma is a big place. Why does it seem to only be more? Well, unfortunately, I can't really answer that. Norman, just 10 miles south of Moore, gets hit by a lot of tornadoes as well, but not the super violent F4s and F5s. That seems to be reserved for Moore. No one seems to know why. It's probably a combination of bad luck and simple geography. The other issue with this is we don't really know if this amount of violent tornadoes is unusual. Reliable records of tornadoes doesn't go back that far, only about the 1850s. So, this could just be normal for Oklahoma. We don't really know, and it'll take a while longer to find out if that's true or not. One other thing I'd like to talk about before finishing up this episode is the rescue response. There was obviously a massive rescue response in the wake of this tornado. There were cars everywhere that had to be searched. There were homes everywhere that had to be searched. There were commercial buildings and churches and schools and all that kind of stuff that had to be searched for potential victims. And since this is a more modern disaster, there are tons of photos of the destruction from the tornado and videos of the actual tornado itself. In a lot of these pictures, you will see a bright orange X on the car or the front of the house or the front of the building or whatever, sometimes with writing, sometimes without. The bright orange X means the house or car or building has been cleared. When you search a neighborhood in a mass event like a tornado or a hurricane, the rescue party spray paints one half of an X on the front of the house and usually to the left will write the time in and what party is inside. So if you go into a house, you spray paint, you start at the top left, you spray paint down to the bottom right. On the left side of that line, you'll write the time, whatever time it is, and then you'll draw a symbol for your uh, rescue party. You go in the house, you search it. So when another rescue party comes through and they see that one half line and then they look at the time, they can recognize that, hey, if that time was you know two minutes ago, then they're probably still in there. But if that time was an hour or two hours ago, they probably need to go in and check on that rescue team to make sure they're not stuck. So, let's say they're not stuck. They go in, they search the house, it's clear. They come back out. When they come back out, they will complete the X the other direction. And then they'll write the time out on the top part of the X. Sometimes they'll write the victims found inside, number of victims found inside, in another portion of the X. Occasionally, the... If you have something like a car, you don't need to write the time that you search the car because it's unlikely that you're going to be stuck in the car. And if there's half of an X, they're probably going to be able to see you in the car trying to rescue someone if you're stuck. 
but these bright orange X's on the fronts of buildings and sides of cars and whatnot make for quick observation of whether a car or a house or a building has been searched. In a rescue operation like this, time is of the essence. You have to get to people quickly because they're trapped between, behind rubble. They can suffocate. They can bleed to death. There's a whole host of ways that they could die or become more seriously injured if you do not move in a rapid pace. Controlled, but rapid pace because time is truly of the essence in a massive mass casualty incident, which a tornado would be. So that's why that's there. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Uh, if you want to hear more or see pictures or whatnot, I will post some on our Twitter account, which is Disastrous History. History with spelled without the vowels, so H-S-T-R-Y. And also on Instagram at Disastrous History spelled correctly. You can also read the episode in article format with photos and maps and even some gifs um, on DisastrousHistory.com. If you have comments or suggestions or complaints or whatever, you can email me at DisastrousHistory at gmail.com or you can leave a review. Uh, either one will work. I hope you guys enjoyed. I will see you all on the next one. Uh, stay safe and always check your smoke detector batteries.